news story of the week. You go through Philippians. Found out that this is not a person doing something, but a group of people. In fact, our entire nation. For the first time in the United States history, our our renewable energy capacity is greater than our capacity to get energy from coal. Now, it doesn't much matter where a person is on their political spectrum on this. It's nice to breathe clean air. And coal is dirty air when, when it's burnt. You know, so the fact that we, we've added uh, renewable sources such as biomass, geothermal, hydropower, solar, and wind. And it's not a lot more. It's, uh, it's at 21.56%. And coal has been going down, and it's at 21.55%. So, I mean, it's barely above, but it's above. And, and the renewable has been going up, and coal has been going down. I think that's a good thing. One day there will not be any more coal, conceivably. There's a lot of coal. <laughs> but the wind just keeps on blowing. The sun just keeps on shining. Um, now, it's not all good news or, or you know, roses. Um, capacity is not the same thing as actual energy generation. We have more capacity than coal, but right now uh, renewables account for about 17.5% of the nation's total electrical generation. So we're not using all that capacity. But we're making progress. That's a good thing. We're moving forward. And as we've been looking in Philippians, we see that the the real good news, that's the gospel. Salvation through faith in Jesus always results in action. The good news results in good action. People are transformed, society is transformed, churches are transformed. The good news is true action news. And it's an action that we as the church all do together. So let's pray before we go into Philippians 3. Lord, today we pray that you open up your word to us and give us confidence. Confidence to do the things you call us to do. Confidence in Christ. And great encouragement through that. And we ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you want to follow along on the screen or in your Bible. <coughs> First verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writes, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first thing that Paul wants us to be confident about, and he wants the church in Philippi to be confident about, is have confidence of relationship. Confidence of their relationship. And it's a relationship that they have with God through Jesus Christ. They should have confidence in that. And he gives them two commands. The first command is rejoice. He's saying, be happy. Because you are in the Lord. Be happy that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is happy to write them to remind them about 
how they can be confident that they are in a relationship with God. He says, you should be happy. I'm happy to tell you. And then the next thing he says, the other command is beware. Rejoice, but beware. He says, because there are other people who claim to be in a relationship with God just because they are circumcised Jews. And he's telling this church, which is Gentiles, says you need to watch out for these people. Because there's still, in Paul's time, there's this uh, assumption that for a lot of people, in order to be a Christian, you have to first be a Jew. If you talk to the average Roman or whatever on the street, and, and they, somebody said, I'm a follower of the way, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, they would assume that that person was either Jewish or a proselyte to, to Judaism because Christianity was considered a subset of Judaism. And so there were Jewish people who thought, yes, you have to be a Jew, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law in order to follow Christ. And what Paul says of these people is very insulting. He calls these people dogs. Now, you don't need a... We don't need to go back and figure out culturally what he means by that. It still means the same thing today. He's saying, and it, this is often used figuratively of a person with an impure mind. He says, these people that think we need to follow all these laws, especially of circumcision, to become a follower of Christ, he says, they're dogs. In fact, he says they're evil workers. Literally says they're someone who does harm to another person. And he calls them mutilators of the flesh. This is not the normal word used for circumcision. This is a word used for mutilation. He says, if they do what they want to do to you, he says they are mutilating you. <coughs> so that makes them evil and people with messed up minds. Because he says, we're confident of our relationship with God and we should be confident, not because of something we've done to our bodies. He says, we are, true circ- we are the true circumcision. We have the mark of covenant relationship with God, which is not something done to my body, but which is something done to my heart and my spirit. <clears throat> Paul would say a similar thing to the church in Rome in Romans 2.29. He says, He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men but from God. He says, The change, the, the sign of a covenant relationship is is the change that God has made on me on the inside, not the physical change that some person has made on me on the outside. But these people are looking for a physical sign of a relationship with God, a mark. I, As I thought about this, I... I wondered that with with the laws that have changed in our land about what what is legal what legal marriage. I wonder if one people one reason why people are looking for this state recognition of their relationship is for a confidence, for a sign, a mark that what <clears throat> what they have committed to is actually real, that they actually have a real relationship. Now, something that I'm familiar with in my family, and probably in LaDonna's family too, is the loving decision. The loving decision is the 
Loving is a, actually the last name of a, of a couple versus the state of Virginia in 1967. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down all state laws that banned interracial marriage. And I was thinking about that for myself. You know, if, if the state, if some state said that my wife and I were not legally married, how would I feel? And I thought about it for a while, and I said, you know, it would probably make me feel a little bit uneasy. But as I continued to think about it, I said, you know what? My confidence of my marriage is not based in what the state of California says. Even though the state of California required me and my wife and some witnesses and the pastor to sign a piece of paper and give it to them. My confidence is not in the state. That paper might prove to the IRS that I am married, but it's not what convinces me that I have a covenant relationship with my wife. Because I didn't make my vows before the state. I made my vows before my wife and before God. And my marriage follows what God says. My change was in my heart. And I got an outward sight too. So the answer to the question of how do I know that I'm in a covenant relationship with God is not something that I have to look outwardly for. It's something I need to look inwardly for. See, it doesn't matter whether or not I have a Christian tattoo. And I do. But that's not my mark of my Christianity. That's not a mark of relationship with God. It doesn't matter if I wear a cross. That doesn't matter any more than having a Navy tattoo doesn't prove that I was in the Navy. It's one, having faith in Jesus as Lord. And two, what Paul is saying, having been changed by the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of James is all about. You can say you have faith. Do you have the mark of inward change? If I have the mark of inward change, then I can be confident in my relationship with God. I'm not the same person I was before. If you've got that, rejoice. Be happy. If you don't have that, let's talk. Because I want you to have that. See, my confidence is not in myself or any marks. My confidence is in Christ. So Paul goes on, Philippians 3, starting verse 4. He begins to talk about himself. He says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul wants us to have confidence in our relationship with God, and he also has confidence of righteousness. Paul is confident of his righteousness. Now, Paul's case for being right with God, according to what he has done with his body, his physical signs, is this. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That is according to the covenant law. He was properly brought into the covenant relationship with God by his family. He says, I started off right. My parents brought me into the covenant. He says, and not just that, I was born into the right covenant people. He says, I didn't convert to Judaism. I'm not a proselyte. I was born into the chosen people of God. So I was born there, and we did the right ritual to put me in there. And not just any tribe. He says, I was in the tribe. I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, along with Joseph, that's that's those are two of the, the chosen sons of Jacob. Those are his sons by Rachel. He says, I'm a beloved tribe. Furthermore, the tribe of Benjamin is a kingly tribe. That was Saul's tribe. The tribe of Benjamin is also one of the tribes that didn't rebel against God. We call the, the lower tribe. Uh, when the when the nation of Israel split into Israel and Judah, Judah is actually Judah and Benjamin. And that's who the ones that had the good kings. He says, I was on the good side. Being of the tribe of Benjamin is a good thing, historically. He says, you don't get any more Hebrew than me. He says, and then he goes into his life as an adult. He says, how did I follow the law as an adult? He says, I'm a Pharisee. Pharisees are strict observers of the law. Now, Jesus said they didn't always follow the law from the heart, but they followed the law. Regarding his commitment, he says, I was so committed when I saw someone who wasn't as committed as I thought they should be, the church, I persecuted them. He says, as far as obedience to the law, Paul says, I was blameless. Now, he's not saying he never sinned. What he's saying is, even when I did sin, I went to the temple and I made the proper sacrifices to take care of my sins. I made sure I was blameless before God. I either did the right thing or I took care of it the right way. He says, that's what I did with my body. If anybody has reason to be confident that they are righteous, it's me. That's his case. But his confession for actually being right with God is this. He says, all those things that I did, all those things that I was and am, they counted for nothing. Because all I really needed was Jesus. It's not that doing righteous things are wrong. He says, but what counts is the righteousness of Jesus. In fact, he says, everything I did counted for not just nothing. He says, it counted for less than nothing compared to knowing Jesus. 
He said, all the righteousness that I had worked out on my own or thought I had by virtue of my birth, he says, it was garbage. How could he say that? How can doing good ever be garbage? Well, the Apostle Paul knew the scriptures from Isaiah 64, 6, where it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities like wind take us away. God said way back in Isaiah, all those things you do to be righteous, it just doesn't cut it. Your righteousness is not the same as my righteousness. So Paul says, I don't want my own righteousness when I stand before God. He says, there's no confidence in that. If I show up with God with my pedigree of things, my list of things I did and list of things I am, he says, I just can't stand before God with that with confidence. He says, what I need is righteousness from God. And we get that through faith in Jesus Christ. I can stand confidently before God if God is the one standing for me, is what he's saying. Got two, yeah, we've got our boxers up there. Vonda Ward is the taller lady. She's six foot six. When she boxed, she had 23 wins and one loss, 17 by knockout. On May 8, 2004, she fought Ann Wolf. Ann Wolf is five foot nine. Now, in her career, she was 24 wins, one loss, one draw, 16 KOs. So here it is, May in Biloxi, Mississippi. And it starts going, and they're just one minute into the first round. And the smaller lady is going for it. And the announcer says, I wonder if Ward has had all these wins because she's just so intimidating, people are afraid to fight her. And just then, Wolf knocks her out. Right to the chin. Now, you may have actually seen Wolf more recently. She played an Amazon in the Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> the tough lady. <laughs> she wasn't afraid to stand before somebody that's bigger than her. How can I have the confidence to stand righteously before God, who is bigger and stronger than any boxer I could ever face? I've got not enough strength of my own. I've got not enough righteousness of my own. The only way to righteously stand before God is to have the righteousness of God. So I need to stand in Christ. My confidence is in Christ.
Paul ends with this, verses 10 and 11. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The last thing that Paul has confidence in is confidence of resurrection. What Paul is saying, answering these questions with this last bit, he says, well, you say you can be, I can be confident of my relationship with God, but why is it important to have a relationship with God in the first place? You say it's important to be confident that I can stand righteous before God, but why do I even care if I'm righteous before God? And here he's answering that question. Why is it even important? Paul says, one, I want to know God. I don't just want to know what God wants me to do. That's the law. He says, I want to actually know God. God said, Paul says, I want to live, have in my life that same power of God that was able to raise Jesus from the dead. Because if the Holy Spirit can transform Jesus from death to life, that same power certainly should be able to transform me. We, we read our gospel story today of Jesus going to the Gerasenes. How could he be so confident? This person had a legion of demons. No chains could hold him. He's been running around naked in the tombs. Jesus goes there confidently. It's the same power that he's using that will raise him from the dead. Paul says, I want to have that kind of confidence. I want to have that kind of power in my life. That's why I want to be confident that I have a relationship with God and confident that I can stand before God in the resurrection. Paul says, I want to be confident of this because I want my sufferings to be worth it. There's hard things in this life. He says, I want my life to be worth it in the end. Paul says, why is this important? Paul says, it's important because I want my sins paid for. It's not just that I can't be righteous enough. I still got to take care of all my garbage. And I can only do that through Christ. And most importantly, Paul says, I don't just want to die. I want to be raised from the dead. I think he's talking about that now and most certainly in the life to come. Paul says, I want to live. And so through Jesus Christ, I have confidence in living and living again. More movie reference. We've got Doctor Strange up there. If you saw the Doctor Strange movie, his main villain that he has to fight is Dormammu. Looks different in the movie. I couldn't find a good movie clip, but the cartoon one looked pretty cool. Now, spoiler alert. So... Dormammu is too strong for Doctor Strange to beat. And so he goes into this universe where he is, and Doctor Strange has a 
time stone, this, his amulet of Agamotto. And what he can do is set time on a loop so it just keeps going over and over and over again. And so he faces Dormammu and he says, I want to make a deal for you to not destroy the earth. And Dormammu kills him. And then Doctor Strange comes back and says, I want to make a deal. And Dormammu kills him. And Doctor Strange comes back and says, I want to make a deal. And Dormammu kills him. And he keeps killing him in all these different ways. Torturous ways. The cycle is repeated and repeated and repeated. And we don't know how long it's supposed to repeat. It's, a, it's allegedly a long time because by the end of all this, by the time we, next time we see Doctor Strange in a movie, he's really powerful. Because he's not just using this time just to die over and over again. He's perfecting his craft. <laughs> he's got about two minutes to try a new spell <laughs> before he gets killed. The cycle keeps repeating and repeating and repeating until Dormammu finally realizes, you've got me trapped here. It doesn't matter how many times I kill you, you're going to keep coming back, and I can never take over the earth. See, Doctor Strange was confident in his amulet, one, that he'd be able to come back. And he said, and he's saying he knew it would be worth all the dying to save the planet. Like Paul, I say, I want my life to be worth it all. Like Paul, I say, I want my life to continue after my death. In a good way. here's Here's the sad thing everyone's life is going to continue after their death. But some go to everlasting punishment and some go to everlasting reward. I want my life to continue in a good way. And everything else, money and things, desires that I want fulfilled, my entertainment, my suffering... Even my works of righteousness. They're all temporary. But God makes it worth it. If my confidence is in Christ. It was interesting. When I did a search on confidence on the internet, all the search results that come up are all about self-confidence. Which is just the opposite of what Paul's is. He says, I'm not taking confidence in myself. And yet that's what we're filled with when we search just for confidence in general, self-confidence. Now being self-confident, and there was also stuff about raising self-confident children. Okay, I'm not against those things in general. Being self-confident is good. Try something new, whether you are young or old. Don't live in fear. It's important that I do give my children confidence. My wife just mentioned to me this week, she 
He said, Sophia is a lot braver when she's with you than she is with me. Okay, that's, that's, that's a good thing. But the thing that all those articles are really neglecting are the source of self-confidence. I'm important for the confidence of my children, but I can't be the source. My own skills and my own knowledge are important, but I don't know everything, and there's always somebody better at something. And if I want to tell someone, if I want to tell my friend about Jesus, my confidence can't just be in my storytelling. Because there's a lot of good stories and a lot of good storytellers. For myself, for my witness, for my children, my confidence is in Christ. Let's pray. As the deer longs for streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for the living God. Where can I come and appear before you? Even when all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember as I pour out my heart that I walked with many and I led the procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Put your hope in God. I still praise him. He is my Savior. And the Lord will send his faithful love all day long. And his song will be with me all night long. Because God is my life. Lord, today, I put my confidence in you that I can have a relationship with you, that I am in a relationship with you, that my righteousness is found in you, and that my life is found in you. <coughs> give me and give us confidence to bring others into that place of faith. So that when the time comes and people stand before you, they will not be found wanting. but will be found loved. And we ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen.